0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33, and chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, that they also may be sanctified in truth, the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Lori, for reading that. For the season of Lent, we are in a teaching series on the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. It's found in John 17, and we just read a selection from that chapter just now. Jesus, in that chapter, is praying out loud for his disciples to hear. He's praying knowing that this would be the last time that they would be together for any significant time before he goes to his death and his crucifixion. So in this prayer, it's very clear. He knows this is the last time. If you knew that you had one prayer left before your death, it was your time, one prayer to pray For and over the people that meant the most to you, that mean the most to you, the ones that you love, your prayer would contain your deepest heart. It would contain your highest priorities for them, would it not? You probably would not be praying for them to have their favorite breakfast item the next day or to find a good parking spot when they go out the next day. It would have your deepest heart. It would have your highest priorities for them as people, wouldn't it? That's what we have here. And Jesus prayed this prayer. It says, for all his disciples, they were there. They were gathered with him. And in verse 20, we didn't read it. It says, he prayed this for all who would believe in them through their words. So if you are a Christian, he's praying this prayer for you. Something that Christians often do for each other, if you've been around Christians in the church for a while, is... We ask for and we share what we call prayer requests, right? How can I pray for you? And what we've been doing is we've been considering this prayer is asking the question if Jesus were to somehow appear to you and come to you and said, how can I pray for you? What are your prayer requests? Write them down and give them to me and I'll pray for those things. (laughs) And we'd probably think, okay. This is my chance. Jesus is going to pray these things for me. Whatever I ask him, he's going to pray. So here's my chance to really let him know what I want. What would be on your list of prayer requests? And how does it compare, we've been asking this, to what Jesus actually did pray for you here? How many of you would have something like this that's in this prayer? Jesus, here's my prayer request. Pray that I would be one, unified and connected with all those who follow you. And pray that I would be sanctified, that I would be holy, that when I need to be different and set apart from how the world lives and thinks, that that would be something that I can do. Pray not that I would be taken out of the world and its troubles and its difficulties, but please pray this, that I would be sent into the world to serve it, to love it like you did. Did anybody have that on their prayer request list? You might be thinking, well, I was just going to ask for maybe a better job or a promotion. Maybe I was just going to ask for a little more financial security. Or can I just have a little more sleep? Can my kids sleep through the night? Or a little less anxiety. So during our time throughout this series, I'm asking us to consider the difference between the prayer that we would want in the prayer that we need, the prayer that Jesus actually did pray for us. Our focus this morning will be on what Jesus prays that we would have in the world. It's found in verse 13, if you would look at that again with me. Jesus says that in the world, these things he is speaking in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves i'm going to be talking about joy two weeks ago we looked at what jesus clearly prayed here that he said this is not what i'm praying god it was his anti-prayer prayer request, that you take them out of the world in verse 15 he says he prayed i am not praying i am not asking that you take them out of the world and in the beginning here, I had this, this printed out this Sunday. Chapter 16, verse 33, it makes it clear what he means by that because he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Tribulation is a combination of trouble and suffering. So in this world, you will have tribulation. I'm not praying you be taken out of all the trouble and the suffering and the brokenness and the sin and the evil of this world. He doesn't pray that we be taken out of all of that in the world but at the same time he prays that we would have joy in the world so this is the counterpoint message to what i shared a couple weeks ago in this world we will have trouble we will have suffering but jesus also is praying that we would have joy in the midst of all of that joy has not really been a topic that has come up a lot these days. I don't know if it's a topic that you've heard people talk about, if you've heard a lot of people say, how are you doing? I'm doing great, I'm joyful. I am rejoicing. These past few years has been a very difficult time. Each of us has gone through tribulation in different ways. Each of us has something unique that we've experienced over these past couple years, but as an entire world, as an entire culture, we've gone through some pretty, intense tribulation. So how can we talk about joy when there's a pandemic? How can we have joy when there's so much cultural tension that we still have to navigate? How can we talk about joy when there's war? Joy? Is it possible? Jesus' prayer here, this prayer that we need, tells us that it is. He prayed for all who believe in him to have a full and complete joy in us. Even in a world where there is trouble and suffering, even in our actual world after these past couple years. And his prayer is not only a demonstration that it is possible, but it also shows us how this joy is possible to have inside of us. That's what I wanna talk about this morning. Do you want this joy? Jesus prayed for you. If your faith is in him, that it would be inside you. How is this possible? (laughs) Let's talk about it. Before we move into that, I just want to give a definition of joy And kids. Every time there's a family service, I'd like to teach you a new word in a different language. So get ready for today's word. What is joy? The best definition I can share with you of joy, according to the Bible, is this. Joy is a deep, abiding delight and gladness. Joy is deep. I think we all would kind of intuit that. We would kind of all agree. Joy is different than maybe just a shallow happiness. It's deep down. It's not just on the surface. And it remains. Even though things around us change, it abides. And it's more than just a happy-go-lucky kind of a thing. It is a gladness. It is a delight. This is the kind of joy Jesus says can be inside of us, that he prays would be inside of us. The word for joy in the Greek, here it is, is kara. I think I'm pronouncing that right, kara, kind of. So if you know somebody named kara or kara, they're named after this word, joy. So remember that word, I'm gonna ask you later. To get this joy inside of us first, we need to understand the significance of joy. It's my first point. And what I mean by the significance of joy is this. What is the significance of joy to God? How important is joy, deep abiding delight and gladness. How important is that to the God of the universe? How important is joy to Jesus Christ, God and man? For him first. How important and significant is the joy that Jesus has? Is it just kind of a side thing that he has or is it something extremely significant to the God of the universe and to Jesus Christ? How do you think about that? Is joy essential to Jesus for himself, such that he has to have it? And how significant is it to Jesus that we have joy? This is so, this is so important. The more that I spent time with this passage, I thought this is so important. The way that you answer those questions whether you've been a Christian for a long time, you study the Bible a lot, you have your theology intact, whether you are somebody who is exploring Jesus and wondering, what is he all about? This sets the trajectory one way or the other in terms of how you think about God. Who is Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Here's another way to put it. According to the Bible, taking into account all the proper theology and interpretation and all that stuff, is joy a nice-to-have or is joy a must-have, right? For God first, is it a must-have for God or is it a nice-to-have? And then for us. When you're making a big purchase, I don't know, a computer, a PC, some of you guys are wanting to... Get a PC so you can do your gaming and that kind of thing. If you're looking at a car, a major purchase, a home. If you're dating somebody, you're looking for a spouse, you have a list, right? Even if it's in your mind, nice to have and must have. These are the things I, these are my non-negotiables. The other things, okay, that's nice if it's there. Look at verse 13 again. These things, Jesus says, I speak in the world. I'm saying this prayer. I'm saying this last final discourse with you, my disciples, in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Earlier, a few chapters earlier in chapter 15, Jesus also spoke about joy. He said these things, chapter 15, verse 11, I have spoken to you, parallel passage to what we just read, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full it's easy to miss at first, what these verses are saying about Jesus when he says, my joy. He's saying, very basic point here, he is joyful. To say he has joy, my joy, means he is joyful. It assumes his joy. Joy is a must-have for Jesus, not in the sense that he doesn't have it and he has to keep finding ways to get that joy. Joy is a must-have for Jesus because it is a part of his being. It's a part of his character to be joyful. Joy is something Jesus has. He says, it's my joy. Now, let's dig into this. Is Jesus' joy? If that's true, is it like a little smirk? Hmm, joyful. Is it like a little chuckle? Ah, that's nice, joyful. Or is his joy so great and so full and so complete that it fills him, that it fills heaven, that he has enough joy to fill every single human heart until it is absolutely full and complete with joy that never stops. Jesus says here that it's the latter. His joy is enough to fill up every person who believes in him to the rim with joy to the rim with a deep and abiding delight and gladness. That's not possible if you just have a little bit of joy over here. That's only possible if you have enough joy to keep filling up, that it never stops, that it's overflowing in you, and you can fill up every single heart with that kind of joy. Think of your favorite beverage, Dr. Pepper. There's a Dr. Pepper one over there. I know, I know that kid, he's my kid or coffee, or Arnold Palmer, whatever your favorite beverage is, every time, if you have that beverage, you're sipping it, and every time you take a sip, it's still full to the brim. (laughs) It's never running out. You get to drink it all that you want. A few years ago, we were in Atlanta as a family. We visited the Coke factory. If you like soda, this is This is your greatest joy, to be in the Atlanta Coke factory. You go into the fountain and you drink all you want, and it never runs out, and you can drink soda forever and ever and ever. Amen. (laughs) If that is your joy, then that is a joy factory. Jesus says in verse 13, you will be fulfilled. The word there, it's probably better translated complete. Your joy will be complete. You will be filled up with joy. For that to be possible, Jesus must have a lot of joy. According to Christianity, the answer to these questions, who is the most joyful person in the universe? Who is the most joyful person? Whoever walked this earth, whoever lived, this prayer tells us the answer to the first question is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the most joyful person in all the universe is the God who created all things. The most joyful human to ever walk the face of the earth is Jesus Christ. Who else has enough joy to make every single human heart full and complete with joy? Let me me just ask all of you, and kids, if you're tracking with me, let me ask you, is this your view of God? That he is that joyful and full of joy Christians, is this your true theology of Jesus? I don't have it all printed here, but in verses 20 through 26, Jesus describes, we'll get there later in the sermon series, he describes where he he is returning. He's returning back to the Father, back to the love that he had with the Father before the world ever existed. And he's saying, what I long for is to take all those who believe in me along with me into this love, delight, and joy." There's a quote in your bulletin. It's, I think, um, one of the first ones there at the beginning. It's from John Stark. You can look in your bulletin. We don't have it on the slide again, but in this quote, in a book I'm reading by John Stark on prayer, he says this, and he's commenting on this passage. Jesus is pulling back the curtain here in this prayer from eternity past to reveal that the Father and the Son never experienced loss or lack, only delight and fullness in one another. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have only been in complete fullness of joy and glory. Can you imagine? Just eternity and joy between them. And Jesus prays that we, his followers, would be brought into that delight. This prayer where we have Jesus' deepest heart, Jesus' deepest priorities for us shows us that the deepest heart of Jesus for us is to fill us with joy. So for Jesus, joy is not a nice to have. It is a must-have for us. If this prayer does represent Jesus' deepest heart and priorities for us. What a misconception so many of us have about Jesus and what his purpose and intent is for us. I was convicted, and maybe you might be slightly convicted considering this this morning, how I have vastly underestimated and never grasped the significance of joy when God says, be holy as I am holy. We take that seriously. But God is just as serious when he commands us to be joyful as he is joyful. I have to share this. Something I was reading this week is a book called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. It's his presentation of the Christian faith. And in that book, at the very, very end, his conclusion is this. He is, presenting the truth of Christianity and contrasting it to secularism, a world without God. And he concludes with a section that addresses the idea that Christianity takes all the joy out of life, doesn't it? With all the rules and the things you have to do and all of that, all the secular people, they get to have all the fun, right? Here's what he says. He says, secular joy is confined to the little things of life a corner of life. But for the Christian, joy is the biggest thing in life. Yes, all of us and secular people can have the joys of this world, physical pleasures, temporary good circumstances, the joys of nature, without all the moral boundaries and ethical issues to worry about, don't have to think too much about right and wrong. There you go. But the biggest things, the reality of the universe, the meaning of life, The inevitability of death are joyless, dark mysteries, and empty voids. To the secular person, Chesterton says, worldly joy is a little distraction from living in a big world of emptiness and meaninglessness. But for the Christian, the suffering of the world is just a short chapter in the story of eternal joy. The difference is this. Sorry to use another beverage analogy, but this is the one that came to mind. You have a cup. This cup is full of salt water. And if you have a cup of salt water, if you've ever had a sip of salt water or had to gurgle it, not very good tasting, but say, hey, let me help you out. I'm going to put a grain of sugar in that salt water. Now taste it. Okay, still horrible. It's still salt water. Chesterton is saying that's like joy in a meaningless universe without the God of joy. But for the Christian, it's the other way around. We have our great beverage. We have our sweet tea and Dr. Pepper. Oh, I'm going to ruin that for you. I'm going to put a little grain of salt in that beverage. Taste it. Can you taste that salt? No. To the Christian, even our suffering and pain is just a grain of salt in the ocean of infinite and eternal joy. That is the Christian theology of joy. That is the significance of joy according to the Bible. We could go on and on about that, but I have to move on to my second point. Once we understand that and begin to grasp the significance of joy to Jesus, we're ready now to hear what he says about the surprises of joy. The joy that Jesus has and wants to fill us with is not the kind of joy that we would expect or seek. Maybe shocking is a better word than surprise. When we say, like, that's a shocker. If you're following March Madness and there's a shocking upset, we say that's a shock, that's a surprise, it's a shocking upset because it's not supposed to happen. The joy that Jesus is talking about is a not supposed to happen kind of joy. Most of us look at it and go, joy doesn't happen like that. Look at the language of Jesus' prayer. He says, true joy is a joy that we can have in the world. Verse 11, verse 13, he's talking about life in the world. But in verses 14 and 16, he says it's not of the world. The world, we can loosely understand what Jesus means by that word, with the word culture, a system of life that we build with its desires and thoughts and ideas. To follow Jesus, then, is not to be fully at home or fully fit in into any of the values, desires, and ideas of any culture in the world. And this applies to joy. Here's where I'm going with this. There are two especially surprising and shocking things about joy in Jesus's prayer, especially for those of us who live in Western American, Southern Californian culture. It is a joy not of this world. How so? First, I think we have a slide on this. It's a joy in tribulation. If you trace the phrase in the world You can do this with me. You can underline. Kids, you can underline with me. 16.33, there at the top of the passage, it says, in the world, underline it, we will have tribulation. Go down to verse 11, chapter 15. Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, underline it, but they are in the world, underline it, I'm coming to you. He picks up that same thought again in his prayer in verse 13, look at verse 13. Now I'm coming to you, And I speak these things in the world, underline it, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The joy that Jesus is talking about here is not a future joy. It is now in the world where we also will have tribulation and trouble and suffering. And that for many of us is the surprise and the shock. Because if we were all to think right now, what would give me a deep, an abiding delight and gladness. What would do that for you? What would give you a deep and abiding delight and gladness right now? Just close your eyes and picture it. For me, what I picture is being in Kauai in a little ocean view room with sun and waves, and that's, that's it, deep and abiding gladness. Now, I don't know what you pictured, but I'm 100% sure, 99.9% sure we all have something in common in what we pictured. It's this. You pictured a situation that has no trouble. You pictured a situation that has no suffering in it and does not require of you any courage or risk to enter into those things. No one's joy and fantasy dream includes those things. But Jesus' prayer for our joy, it does. And that's a surprise. We need to all hear this. After so much tribulation these past few years, we've all felt it differently. Here's what we need to hear. We don't have to wait until all our circumstances go back to normal to have joy. This is a challenge, and this is a comfort. We don't have to wait till everything is good in the world for us to have joy. It's a challenge because Jesus says, don't close yourself off to that kind of joy. To say, I refuse to be joyful unless everything circumstantially around me is good in the way that I want it to be. It's a challenge, but it's also a comfort. Joy is possible even in the midst of trouble. That's the first surprise of joy. There's another one here. Second slide there. Surprise two, joy in keeping commandments. A few chapters before this prayer in John 15, in his last teaching before his prayer, Jesus describes the joy he wants to fill us with. It's in John 15. Listen, he says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. And we're like, that's good. I like that. If you keep my commandments, hold on, commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Almost identical to what he's praying here in chapter 17. Did you hear the surprise? If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Like me, Jesus says, I keep my Father's commandments, I abide in his love. I'm saying this to you. Saying what? Keep these commandments. Why? So that my joy would be in you and your joy may be made full. How many of us when we think of abiding sense of delight and gladness think, give me some commandments. Just tell me the commands and then I will be joyful. I don't think that way. Give me commands I didn't choose. Give me commands I don't like. Give me commands that are very hard to follow joy jesus says yes but aren't the commandment keeping type of people the serious and somber ones it's the breaking commandment people who are the happy and joyful ones right no jesus says in fact one of my commands he says is to rejoice we need to hear this the current view in our culture on joy is this the only way to be joyful is if we get to write our own commandments for ourselves and no one else gets to tell me what to do. Only then will I be joyful. And what Jesus says is a shock to this. How can it be? Joy in commandments. And so that is a challenge for us. It's not in the commandments we make for ourselves, it's in the commandments that have been given to us where joy is found. Two shockers. This is a surprise of joy. If the source of this joy in deep abiding delight and gladness, Jesus is saying, isn't in our circumstances. It isn't in the trouble-free life. If the source of this joy isn't in doing and getting what I want in life, where is this joy from? What is the source of this joy then, Jesus? And that's the last thing I'd like for us to consider the source of this joy. Jesus says, I'm coming to you, verse 13 again, I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. And again, in the passage that we just read in John 15, these things I'm speaking to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus is not praying just for joy in general, to be in us and to fill us. He's praying for my joy. He says, my joy that may be in us and fill us. So the source of our joy, according to Christianity, is the joy of Jesus himself. That's the source. But what does that mean? What does that mean? This prayer shows us Jesus' joy has two main parts. Number one, part one, He has joy in the Father. We've talked about this in the first point, a deep and abiding delight and gladness, in the love of the Father, in giving him glory, in receiving glory from him, in doing what pleases him, in hearing the Father say to him what he's always said from eternity past, you are my son. In you I am well pleased, I delight in you. I'm so glad in you. I am joyful in you. Part one of Jesus' joy is very clear in this prayer. Jesus says, Father, glorify me in your presence before the world existed. Bring me back to that. You have given me glory because you love me before the world's foundation. Jesus' joy is joy in his Father in giving that joy to his Father and receiving it. But there's a part two. Part one is his joy in the Father. Part two is his joy in bringing us into that joy. Jesus' joy is when we experience what he has experienced for all eternity, that the Father has a deep abiding delight and gladness over us. His joy is when that joy fills us up to the very brim in our souls. You know, when you truly enjoy something, whatever it is that is your delight and your joy, favorite food, your favorite team, song or movie, whatever it is. Uh, Yesterday at our brunch, our church hike and brunch, if you weren't there, you missed it. It was the most amazing brunch ever cooked, ever, I think. I can say that. Thank you to Liz. And we were all there enjoying it, and we were eating it, and we could have just been by ourselves, and Liz could have hand-delivered this incredible lunch to one of us by ourselves eating it. That's good. That's good stuff. Joy. But what can make your joy even greater. If you're enjoying the greatest brunch ever, the only thing that can enlarge that joy is when you're sharing it with others and bringing others in and saying, did you taste the chilaquiles? Taste it, it's so good. Did you taste the crepes? It's so good, I'm making you hungry, right? This is sharing in the joy. That's what Jesus is saying is true of his joy. The only thing that can make it better, the only thing that can enlarge it is when he's bringing us in. Into it and this is the very heart of the gospel the very heart of Christianity it may not be obvious to you at first but part two of this joy is very clear in this prayer the whole reason Jesus is praying this prayer is because of part two of his joy that we would be brought into it he says I've come into the world father I'm coming back to you but why did Jesus leave his joy in the first place Why is he in the world? Why is he praying this prayer about to die? In a death he's chosen. He knows it's coming. Why go to the cross to bear our sins? To, in the language of the Bible, in the language of the Bible, become a curse for us, to become sin for us. The one place where the joy of Jesus would be broken, blocked, disrupted. Why would he go there? The gospel is, so that all who believe in Jesus would have his joy. Hebrews 12.2, we already read it earlier in the service. Why did Jesus go to the cross? How did he overcome the world? As he says in chapter 16, verse 33. How did he enter into the darkness and the blackness and the emptiness of the joy that was his delight, his gladness for all eternity, how did he do it? Why did he do it? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? The only way Jesus said that I can do this is because I know that on the other side, I will bring others into my joy, and it is my joy to give everything for them. It is my joy even to give up the thing that is the most important thing that I've had for all of eternity. I will give it up. I will let it be blocked, disrupted. I will be emptied of that joy because I know on the other side they will be brought in. Friends, that is what Jesus has done for us. Final thought. There are only two things in this prayer that Jesus prays would be in us, inside of us. What does Jesus want to be in us, in our souls and in our hearts? He says one is love. And we're probably familiar with that. We say, okay, that's later in verse 26. Jesus says, may the love that I have, that we have Father, may it be in them. We say, we get it. We understand that's what Christianity is all about but the other is joy. If I asked you, does God love you? Does he want his love to be in you? I think we'd all say, at least mentally, yes. But if I said to you, does God rejoice over you? Does God have a deep and abiding delight and gladness over you? You! Not the perfect you, not the you who does everything he says, you as you are right now before you did anything that God looks at you and says, she's my joy. He's my joy. Jesus prayed that that, that would be what fills us to the brim. May it be. May we believe it and may it fill us up. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this prayer. We thank you that it challenges so much of what we think about you, about the Father, that you are full of joy, that the Father is full of joy and it's a must have that we get filled up with that joy as well. Would you work in every heart here Whatever stands in the way for us to be more full, more filled up, truly believing, truly receiving, truly living in that joy and believing that as you say in your word, just like a groom rejoices over his bride, so you rejoice over us that you are the God who is a mighty one who saves, but you rejoice over us with gladness. You delight over us with singing and that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Can we dare believe it? I pray that we would. And it would transform us. It would help us endure whatever trials we're going through. And it would help us to be the kind of people for whom joy spills out and over into other people that they might know just a little bit, might taste a little bit, of this great joy. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.